This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of the critically acclaimed book, Fall of the Boston Celtics, which you can still download for free by logging on to www.clnsradio.com slash LHR book. Welcome on in to another edition of Celtics Beat being brought to you today by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. And because of your listenership, Audible is offering your first audiobook on them by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Today is Sunday, November 22nd, one of the famous Where Were You Days in Western Civilization, if you know what I'm referencing. But it's November 2-2. 2015, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I am Larry H. Russell. Today's guest, former Big East basketball announcer way back yonder, but I think you may know him as the longtime voice of the Boston Celtics, Mike Gorman, coming up a little later in this episode, number 132, which today is being brought to you by Linda Audible and Tick IQ. TIQ IQ already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports, and now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the TickIQ app and start saving today. That is TIQIQ. Use promo code BOSTON. That is promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. Christmas, Hanukkah. And all these other religious holidays that are bastardized into consumer feasts. Well, if you're going to go on a shopping or a gift spree, purchasing tickets to any event at TickIQ.com would not be a bad idea. Certainly would be far, far more efficient of your time and cease, I don't know, hanging outside of Walmart at 6 a.m. on a Thanksgiving morning. But that's just me. I really do hope that none of our listeners are one of those people. Even if you told me, like... Hey, I was listening to Celtics beat on my iPod while I was waiting in line to purchase the newest Air Jordan. No, just I, I just don't want to take myself any further. Let's get to why you came here. Celtics, okay, back on Saturday morning, getting around to some emails to people I communicate with more intimately than just on here every week. And now on Unfiltered on CLNS Radio, the, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio, if you want to check out some of our early pilot editions. We had Tom Westerholm of Mass Live on our very, very first show. Got another one coming up this Wednesday for you as well. Anyways, getting around to some of your emails, and three of you, maybe not making it a point of your emails, or the point for that matter, but three different one of yous actually had the gall, literally the gall to mention to me, and I'll paraphrase all three of you, I can't believe the Celtics fans mocked the Brooklyn Nets with draft pick chance. You don't want to do that because that's just going to give them added motivation. Uh, For the love of, I mean, really, major, major, major props to the patrons back on Friday night at the TD Garden. Very happy that they enjoyed the game and making it that much more enjoyable to the viewers back at home or wherever you Watch the game. This is entertainment. You go to these games. You spend this kind of money on tickets to have a good time, to have fun. I will go to my grave never attending a game I enjoyed more than LeBron's original final game in Cleveland, the playoff clincher against the Cavs in 2010. 
yes, the Celtics won, but I've been in that building plenty of times for Celtics wins, you know, like the championship for one. But no night will I ever cherish more than that because of that crowd and how engaged everybody was. And yes, the chanting. Did for one second any of us say, geez, we really don't want to motivate LeBron with all these New York Knicks chants and yada, yada, yada. Even a few weeks later during the finals against the Lakers, fans brought the Kardashian mask. And in the seventh game, Lamar Odom came out and grabbed a zillion offensive rebounds. Did anybody say to themselves, well, I really wish we didn't make fun of Lamar Odom and his wife. That might have motivated him. So just stop, seriously. You know, attending sporting events has gotten less and less enjoyable, and it's not because I've gotten older. But as more and more working people are priced out, and as the years go on, the economy gets tighter and tighter, you get less of that. I mean, 25 years ago, not just at the Guard, but all sporting venues, the crowds were far more engaged almost everywhere you went. It operated more as a collective unit, more of what you see over in Europe for their soccer events and almost all their other sporting events as well. The European crowds, uh, international crowds, are far superior than to American crowds. And those crowds back then in America, in what was once America, I guess, but they understood not just its value for the home team, but of course to be there and to make the experience for just really it's just as much fun for themselves and to the rest of the fans there as possible. And yes, those original chants, I love them. And they're even funnier and more entertaining on television. What? I mean, what do you want? You want what we have now? A crowd of sheep only making noise when the Jumbotron tells them to? Like, <laughs> We've got enough of that. So my applause goes out to you garden patrons on Friday. Keep it up. And don't for one second worry about motivating the Nets, okay? I could care less about that. Dear Celtics, I do not care if every player on the Nets roster is literally playing for their lives today. Literally. If they lose, they're given the chair. They could play today like it decides their fate. And you should still beat them. Sincerely, everybody. Yes, I know. All year, I kind of play the role of YMCA dad with the, well, we're just hoping this to be a positive atmosphere and to see players make improvement, play well. Like they get an 18-point lead uh, going back on Wednesday, and they blow it. And it's like, ah, that's, you know what? It happens against a good team. You're not going to win them all, yada, yada. It was a good week. Oh, well. No, not Nets games. No matter the circumstances. Don't care how hard they play, how much they're motivated. Celtics, you better go 4-0 against the Nets this year. You better take care of business today. We will talk about it, not just with Mike Gorman, but we'll also get Justin Poulin back for another pregame segment as well. Today is another must-win game later today. Get her done. So thanks to the few people there getting me with that little email. Getting me a little jazz to start my Sunday, all because of fears of motivating the worst team in the NBA, not name the Sixers. But as I said, back to YMCA dad mode here, back to Larry H. Russell hosting Celtics beat. On this Sunday, November 22nd, yes, we do just want to see the Celtics improve, yada, yada, yada. Was another solid step for the Celtics this week. Mentioned the mishap against Dallas. Yes, definitely a letdown. But as I mentioned, too, back on Unfiltered on Wednesday with Tom Westerholm at the Coolidge Corner Clubhouse, I was sensing a letdown going into that game, if for no other reason. It was the first game back from a road trip, a very good road trip. Albeit all of two games, but it was easy to come out and not be ready. Oddly enough, they were ready to play that game. They did build up an 18-point lead. And a good veteran team like Dallas whittled away at it as the Celtics really couldn't add to it. And obviously, they eventually surpassed them. And that's pretty most, most simple way to put it. But just as I've been saying on the last few shows here, and even back to Unfiltered on Wednesday on the Cianos Radio YouTube channel. Again, if you want to check it out, youtube.com slash Radio. This is very bland analysis. 
but there's no other way to describe it. There's just too much youth on this team to expect consistency, particularly if you're playing a bunch of good teams, as Celtics have been lately. And it's going to be hard to see this team reel off a string of consecutive games. Just too much youth. And outside of Isaiah Thomas, the old roster of good players adage, you're definitely going to have letdown nights from some, if not a lot of players, at all because none of these guys are good or great enough to do it night in and night out. As I've said, you're going to get the good performances here and there. You just hope that you get four plus. So someday, uh, but not today, and likely not tomorrow or the day after that, or just tonight, but just better tonight. Other than the second half of the Dallas game where, hey, give Dallas credit. that That's not a pushover team. I know it was a home game, but that's not like there was just horrendous loss. I mean, it was a very, very good week for the Celtics. Obviously, the three wins, including the must win on Friday that they had to have. But continuing to shoot up the ladder in all sorts of defensive categories, as discussed on Unfiltered with Harris and Tom, the Celtics are in the top five in an array of defensive categories. And as we sit here on Sunday, November 22nd, 2015, guess who leads the league in defensive efficiency? Well, you probably don't have to guess. You know it is the Boston Celtics. They technically have the number one defense in the NBA as of this morning, and it was the predominant factor in each and every one of those wins. Definitely got to start with Marcus Smart, really leading the way down there with that Southwest trip, if we want to be very more precise. I thought he could suffer a bit of a adrenaline uh, collapse. I mean, a collapse. Uh, i got to use the word again, letdown. Adrenaline letdown. I've used the word letdown now like six times in totally different ways, but... But he, after going balls out against the Thunder in his hometown. But then the next night, well, he didn't shoot the ball very well. He was everywhere in Houston. Hopefully, too, health-wise, that's all sorted out. I know it's looking sketchy. He's going to play tonight, maybe in the next game or two. But anyways, may not need it in an individual game here and there with Smart, like tonight. But just in the long term, to continue to establish what is clearly becoming the makeup of this team and how this team how certain players, we really obviously like Smart, Jay Crowder, who want this team to be viewed by not just fans, but most importantly, the opponents with their defense. They've really taken the leadership horns in an abstract wise. They've really done, grabbed it by the horns, and they've really made it a point to establish this defense. And you've been seeing that on the defensive end, watching this team win games with defense. Literally, I thought going back all the way to Sunday and Monday, and I touched upon this on Unfiltered, they broke the will of the Thunder and the Rockets, just choking them out. And definitely the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets just quit, and we all know they have their problems. But this past week, Celtics have done a very good job exerting themselves. They're, in my eyes, doing everything defensively. Smart, and now Bradley with that second unit. Obviously, they're suffocating the perimeter. Jay Crowder, too. Can't get his name mentioned really. I mean, he's everywhere, really. Amir Johnson, not quite as advertised. I think his attitude has got a lot to making up this makeup of this team. But he's still getting it out of the paint for you. And then, of course, you have Sullinger down low. If you, He's sort of like a little good situational defender. If you ever do run into some bulk, obviously he can't move around for you. But he does have his value on the defensive end. And he's committing to the defensive end. Everybody's committing to the defensive end. It's spreading to the rest of the team. Even the worst defenders, whom we don't have to name one by one, but guys aren't known for that end of the court. They're at least committed to making rotations, uh, adhering to the coaching. At least they're, they're trying. They're trying. That's good. And it goes without saying that's going to help them win games, particularly on nights the ball is not going into the basket. Offensively now, I think we're seeing this too with ball movement. This whole team thing, this team concept thing is now legit. You hear this? It's just, uh, just a very political thing. But this 
team thing with the Celtics is legitimate. And one player in particular I'd like to mention, and it was funny because I was watching the guard report Saturday morning after the Nets game. A game, if you really want to call it that, more like a scrimmage, but whatever that was, a basketball event at the Garden on Friday. And one of the first points brought up by Jared Weiss is how well Isaiah Thomas, of all people, is now being a playmaker. I don't know if that's the case he wants to stay in the starting lineup, but he's being a playmaker and a good one at that, not just as a last resort where, as Jared said, drive to the basket, three guys swarm him, wild kick out to the perimeter. He's racking up some legitimate assists for himself. That was the first thing that came to my mind when I was watching that contest on Friday night and definitely with Isaiah struggling with his shot initially on Friday. So good to see Jared pick up on that as well. Ball movement all night in that game, almost all year. There's been some iffy games, that home Indiana game, and what that Wednesday, whatever it was, the 11th or something. Uh, well, it has been the 11th. That was Veterans Day uh, where it wasn't there. But the, it's been great. It really has. But unlike the defense and actually like the defense, unselfishness is just contagious in its own right as well. One difference, so unlike the defense, is let's say the shots aren't falling for anyone, and we know the Celtics will have those nights re-Wednesday against Dallas. Players will be less prone to move the basketball. They'll get a little skittish as they start getting these empty trips. So the flow isn't there, no rhythm. That's obviously where you wish this team had an isolation score. But defensively, you can always grit. You can always grind one out. So to see this team take that on... And to have these last few games really serve as an indictment on that. Really, these last two weeks. Now, definitely shows the coaching and the message Brad Stevens and his staff are trying to get across. Which, really, almost all coaching staffs are trying to get across. Play unselfish on the offensive end. Commit to the defense. I think there's not a coach in America at all levels of basketball that want their team to do that. Brad Stevens is getting it done with the Celtics. It was very tough to do so in the NBA with the money these NBA players are making. Uh, but they're they're actually doing what's on that we will sign hanging in the locker room. How about that? Definitely want to get the take of our guest here on that, who's a little closer to this than you or me. Mike Gorman, play-by-play boy for the Boston Celtics on the old sports channel, Fox Sports Net. And now Comcast Sports Net, New England, the home of every single Celtics game. Our interview with Mike is brought to you by American Farmers Network, looking to make your namesake proud this Thanksgiving. Well, make a certified organic whole turkey from AmericanFarmersNetwork.com, the centerpiece of your table. AFN's birds are humanely treated, free-ranging turkeys raised and harvested on small family farms with no GMOs, antibiotics, or synthetic growth hormones. Their organically fed diets leads to a healthy lifestyle, which means an even more delicious Thanksgiving meal for you and your family and one of the healthiest meal options out there. You and your family should be treated to the best, and you don't do so with factory-farmed and industrial-raised meat. You've got to do it with the best, and you'll do so with AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. And with Thanksgiving this Thursday, it is time to log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com right now. Seriously, you are more than free to hit pause on Celtics Beat and get this done. But we got Mike here. Mike, I hope I did not make you too hungry. No, I'm fine. I breakfast ready to go. <laughs> Me and you... Um, I've spoken a couple times here and there. I have to give you credit for winning me over of any frets I had of team chemistry in our conversation before the season. I don't think that we're going to see that, but at the same time, there's still a lot to get sorted out here. I know early on you were telling me, like, listen, i got to see where this team's at. i got to see where this team's at before I get on this show. We're now closing in on a month into the season. Here we are. We got you on the show. Do you know where this team is at or at the very least have a better idea than what you did a few weeks ago? 
I'm, I'm more secure in the fact that I think they're going to play defense for 48 minutes every night. Uh, for a long time in the NBA, you would hear people say you can't get guys in the NBA to play 48 minutes like that. Uh, that was always the argument against Rick Pitino's style of play. Well, Rick, to his credit, for one year with the Knicks, really made them play way over their head by, again, applying pressure, defensive pressure all the time. And I think, you know, guys like Jay Crowder and uh, Avery Bradley and, and Marcus Smart, they know that this is the strength of their game. Yeah, they can shoot, yeah, they can score, but they also can shut people down, which I think is interesting. They find that much more satisfying. So, uh, I, again, I think this team, after watching them for a month, is going to be a very good defensive team. They're going to be nice when the ball goes, just doesn't go in like Dallas the other night after a good first quarter, really struggled because they couldn't get the ball to go in. That's going to happen because they're not great shooters. But the defense is going to be there every night, and in that sense, that's going to keep them in those games. Yeah, I was mentioning that a lot before the season. I, you know, a lot of people said, well, the Celtics, they don't have a dominant defensive center, and they think that's the complete a hindrance on having a top defense. They actually, believe it or not, as we're here on this Sunday morning, they actually have the best defense in the NBA efficiency-wise. And I was saying a lot before the season that if they could be a top four to seven defense, which I thought was completely feasible, like you mentioned, you, you have Crowder and, and Bradley and Smart, and you would hope the rest of that would become contagious and sort of spread to the rest of the team because defense and, to another extent, ball movement as well, which we could probably get into a little later, that can be contagious. So I think that we're seeing the Celtics become an upper echelon defensive team. I don't think they'll settle in at number one when the season's all said and done. But that's really going to do a lot to really mask some of those nights like you mentioned about against Dallas because there's going to be a lot of nights where the ball doesn't go in because they, don't, they only, only have one guy, Isaiah Thomas, they can count on for like 90% of the games to put the ball in the basket. Everyone else is going to be up and down. They'll have a great game. They'll have a, a poor game, et cetera, and that – that, that's going to lead to a lot. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, but def- they're a defensive team that can score as opposed to an offensive team that occasionally defends. Uh, I'm not trying to play semantics with you, but, but that's who they are. They're a defensive-minded team. That's what they think. When you sit and watch them, they're more fun to watch when the other team has the ball than they necessarily how when they have the ball. Uh, they trap people really well. They all seem to be on the same page. One interesting thing that's going on in Boston. For all my years of doing college basketball, it was very clear to me that in college basketball, the team takes on the personality of the coach. And in professional basketball, the team takes on the personality of the best player. Um, the Celtics are kind of, kind of flying in the face of that because this is Brad Stevens' team. And the better they get, the more they start to mirror his personality. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see whether they can keep that up when uh, – People around the league start to realize how good this club is defensively and how much fun they are to watch. Certainly Turner has figured it out. They've already taken one game back. Was there really like a moment, I know you're on the inside, of sort of when, like an epiphany moment of when this team really forged this identity, or was it sort of a slow evolution? I sort of go back to halftime on the road against Indiana. I think it was a Wednesday. I want to say it was something like November 4th-ish, 5th-ish, in and around that date. And the Celtics were coming off some pretty poor defensive performances early in the season, like against Toronto in the second game of the, season, of the year. And they were playing terrible in that first half in Indiana. They did not win that game in the second half against Indiana, but they came back and they had a really good defensive performance. Stevens still criticized the defense in the postgame interview, if I do recall. But that day, maybe getting smart back, 
Was there really any moment of when this team sort of had that epiphany where they've now evolved into one of the top three defensive teams in the NBA? Yeah, I can't think of a specific moment that they came together. I think what we saw slowly come together was the fact that, that, that Smart, Bradley, and Crowder really enjoyed playing together. Uh, they all have very similar defensive skills, and all three of them are aggressive by nature. Um, and I think that's where the has really rolled in. I'll tell you another guy, David Lee has done a really nice job uh, coming off the bench and, and keeping that defensive intensity uh, where he was when he, before he came into the game. Uh, he's, he's been a really nice pickup. Again, all these first 20, 25 games are going to be Brad Stevens trying to figure out who matches best with whom. And, and, and who's going to play and get a certain amount of minutes. You know, there's only so many ways you can divide 48. So uh, I think that's still going to take a little quiet, a little farther down the road before they uh, know exactly who they are. But they're, they're pretty sure they who they are. You talk to Jake Crowder for five minutes and you walk away going, like, okay, they, they get the players straight. They're a defensive team when they know it. Yeah, actually, if you look at it from just sort of a, a team and a concrete standpoint, wins and losses by, and we're talking about that first – 20 to 25 games of the year. Once this team sort of established its footing about a week and a half ago, I actually kind of said to myself, all right, just hang around till about 500 till Christmas. By then, more things should be settled in, roster rise, and then maybe they can go on a little run as they have a, actually have a string of cupcakes on their schedule right after the new year, get some space, and then maybe bounce around. That could be enough for that 45 win uh, mark that you actually sort of threw at me before the year. I think 45 to 50 wins in that neighborhood is, is quite reasonable to expect of this team. Um, some of the other teams, like the Nets, aren't as bad as they look, but, but they're bad. Uh, the Knicks are a little bit of a mirage right now, and I think they just went over 500 last night or the night before. Um, but again, I, unless Porzingis turns out to be really a great player quickly, I don't think the Knicks are a problem. So yeah, I agree with you that Celtics can establish a little distance between themselves and other people right now. But again, it's more the evolution of who they are, what what they need to do, and what Brad can roll out for every night, and it's, and expect uh, 48 minutes of intense defensive basketball. Um, the Celtics really get a ton of points now off turnovers. They get a ton of points in transition. Uh, Brad has given us, especially Isaiah, the green light Isaiah. Last time I checked, and taken twice as many shots as anybody else on the team. So, I mean, he should be in heaven as far as. Uh, where, how happy he is. And he, he's starting now, too. The Avery Bradley experiment, I know it's still in early stages, but it looks very good to me. I, I didn't think Avery would be necessarily a scorer off the bench, and he seemed very comfortable in that role. And at least through the first one, two or three starts here, uh, he's had very strong games. Yeah, the only thing that concerns about me, and I said this before the season about Bradley, and now that he is on the bench, and you mentioned it actually being him being a scorer off the bench, and he did have a pretty productive night back on Friday. But when I when I looked at the the best of Avery Bradley, and you go back to that 2012 season when he first got in the starting lineup, I was just more fond of him when he exerted all of his energy on the defensive end of the floor. And I'm not saying he's a dog on the defensive end. That's, that's, that's not the, the case at all. But that guy was like the equivalent of an NFL shutdown cornerback back when he originally came in the league. But we're talking sort of about you know, the rotations. And you mentioned earlier, too, about combinations with certain players. You threw 50 wins at me. That's yep. a pretty big big number. It's still actually, believe it or not, at least to me, and I'm sort of jedi a sense here that this is not entirely ironed out, it still doesn't feel like Stevens has 
a real rotation or maybe even the real right player combinations like he's getting there. I mean, I don't know, but I guess even too, I even look at it as a good thing in one regard that they're still, what is it, I think six and four. I'd like to think seven and four after yeah. tonight's game against the Nets. I like to think that it's a, almost a good thing that this whole roster situation hasn't really played itself out yet. Yeah, well, I think Brad, you know, again, Brad has a lot of faith in his ideas. He didn't come into the NBA trying to figure out what NBA coaches do and how to act like them. He just kind of came in and was himself. Um, so I think this tweaking of combinations is going to go on for a while. But I also think Brad believes he can play 10 or 11 guys a night. Now, 90% of the people you talk to in the NBA say, no, you can't do that. You can only play eight or nine. Well, maybe that's the way it used to be. Um, I think Brad has shown like he can run 11 guys in and out and, as a result, keep the defensive intensity up because guys aren't taking rest on the defensive end, which they do regularly in the NBA when you either play A for a non-defensive team or, or B, you just trying to get your points. Uh, you relax on the defensive end. That's, nobody does that here in Boston. And again, around the league, you know, there's no expression about teams that press don't like to beat press. Well, teams that are physical don't like somebody physically coming back at them. And, uh, you know, there have been some teams that they'll face already and they'll be more in the next month or so who think they're tough and then they come in to see how the Celtics play. Quick little digression here. The last year Brad was at, at Butler. He played a couple of uh, Big Ten teams, and the Big Ten had a questionnaire for all the players on their specific teams trying to gather some data. Uh, who is the toughest opponent you faced all year? And every single Big Ten team that played Butler said Butler was the toughest team they ever faced. So despite Brad's baby face looks on the sideline, he's a bit of a baby face this afternoon. Yeah, before the season, I actually pretty much solely gave you credit for talking me out of some initial fears that I had because – Brad Stevens was going to be really going to be the person who, who could settle this whole quote-unquote roster disorganization that I thought there would be before the season. And he mainly said it because, really, of the way he manages people. Without question. He's very, very good at that. He's very he's thoughtful, uh, but he's also very determined. He, he has a way he wants to play. He has a way he wants the organization on the basketball side to be run. He doesn't have any... Uh, desires that would appear at this point in his life to be a general manager, so he's quite content to let Danny and Mike Zarin do their work and then just tell him afterwards and give him some players. He goes out and plays. He's told me that on two or three different occasions. That, uh, you know, his job is to take what he is given and make the most of it, and that's what he does. And, you know, you talk to players, players really like him. They like playing for him. They like his attitude. Guys tell me they really like how practices are organized. Um, and, you know, he's I see that more so from the outside. I remember how at the, be at the beginning of this interview you talked about how Patino tried to get all of his players to play for 48 minutes for all 82 games a year. Now that really is just not humanly possible to do so. And you obviously hear how one of the best aspects about Brad Stevens is about how he gets the most out of his team, and that's such a general cliche. But I look at it as just how the team is so prepared Virtually night in and night out. Like, going back to last year, I can count the amount of games on one hand where I said to myself the team was not ready to play that night, where they came out flat, so to speak. And as human beings, there are days you go through life where you aren't as engaged as you are. It's just human nature. 
nature. But it's amazing. I mean, I look at the second game of the year last year against Houston, uh, where they were down like 20 after the first quarter. And there was a game in March on the road against Cleveland last year where, you know, they didn't have anything. I know it was the Cavs, but they it was they just no-showed. And then there was also like a home game last year against Miami late in the year where they came out flat. But it's, it's amazing how I can literally rip all those games off my head and just individually pinpoint three instances where the team did, wasn't ready to play. That is what I've actually been most impressed with over the last, last year and a half. Yeah, well, that, that's true. And, um, again, he does, he being Brad, he does it in a very unemotional way. He, you know, he talks to them and tells them, look, I'm here to bring out the best in you and also have, it be, have that cumulative effort make us a good team. Um, and guys, again, guys have bought in. They didn't buy in real quick first year. I didn't think some guys on the team were buying in. But uh, they buy in now. And he, they're very comfortable with him being the strongest personality on the team, which you usually don't see in the professional ranks. Yeah, I think that also could have been, too, a case where you had players who knew that they weren't, did not, were not very long for Boston. So I don't think that was any indictment on Stevens. But in regards to the team pretty much playing hard night in and night out, which I think is amazing in the NBA because, like I said, I mean, all the travel and everything, it's just so easy. One of these nights just kind of write one off, i.e. tonight against Brooklyn after you ripped away their manhood on Friday. You like to think the Nets, as bad as they are, will come out you know, and play a little bit harder than they did um, on Friday night. And obviously it should take – I would not be surprised if I did see the Celtics get tripped up, but I've I, I poorly predicted that. Uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised at that. Um, I do think the Nets will put in a much better performance. But, uh, you know, I think the Celtics get this – Celtics need to have a big week because we leave next Saturday on a five-game road trip. Two games in Florida, one in Mexico City against Sacramento, and then San Antonio and New Orleans before we come home again. You know, that's a a killer little trip. You can get through that even at two and three, you're doing well. You you can get through it at three and two, that's a huge bonus, as you say, coming back home to a more friendly schedule. Oh, no, they do actually have a uh, pretty – I was looking at the schedule in advance. They do have a chance now. It's going to be tough. I've had trouble predicting game, like games all year. Like I mean, going back, I think like a few weeks ago, they were in Milwaukee. I was like, oh, the Celtics never win in Milwaukee, and they, you know they have their best game of the year in Milwaukee, and then they return home against Indiana. And I say, well, you know, it's home against Indiana. They should come out. They should come out and and play and get a little revenge from a week ago, and then they come out and they probably I would say play as bad as they played all year. But I just think that's really just going to happen pretty much throughout the year, only because of where this roster is. Where you don't, I mean, you have ten, eleven really good players on this team, but they're not great players. The greats do it every single night. The good players do it some nights, and then some nights they don't. You sound like Russell Westbrook. Right. Yeah, uh, again, I don't think that's going to happen maybe as many nights as you, as you might think. Um, again, they come prepared to play, uh, and we seem to have gotten over the first quarter blues. Uh, I think that starting Isaiah is a good idea as long as Avery continues to perform the way he does off the bench. Makes Isaiah happy, gives him an offensive punch to open the game. Uh, again, it's a feeling out process that I still think is going to take a couple more weeks. One of the things when you talk to Brad Stevens is about he he doesn't really care about starting. He's much more concerned with finishing. And and so he's kind of amused by the fact that guys like Isaiah say, I gotta start, I gotta start. Brad will start him if it does the team a lot of good. He's not gonna just start him because Isaiah wants to start. Um, 
there's a real chain of command on this team between Brad, some of the older guys, and, and the younger guys. And uh, so far, it works. It works very well. It's hard to remain, come across really as negative as this team, really, especially over the past week or past two weeks, really over the past week. I thought it was a, a very, very good week. I know those wins at the, during the Southwest trip, people will try to poo-poo them for, oh, well, they didn't have Durant, and oh, well, Houston's not playing. I'm sorry, two back-to-back wins on the road against teams that we expect to be in the playoffs in the Western Conference is a very good week. All right, we've actually had you here for some time now, and I just sort of want to ask one more question and probably even follow up on this question as well. But before the season, and even actually right into that first week, week and a half, I when they started out one and three, and they just really didn't look good, and things looked very disorganized, it felt like the team needed sort of a, I mean, not just a trade for the sake of making a trade, but a trade just to sort of reshuffle the deck, just to almost a musical chairs-like trade, just to really reorganize the roster. Now I'm sort of, I feel like this team is settling in to an extent. Brad Stevens, he doesn't have his rotation yet in my eyes, but I feel that this team is settling in. I know Danny Ainge has obviously been very vigilant on this market. How do you feel maybe on a scale of 1 to 10 in the, in the sense of urgency of making a trade? Obviously, you know, if you get a star, great, but forget it. But make a trade for the sake of just reorganizing things. I think that's very slim, the chances of making a trade simply to reorganize things. If someone really good was available and had a desire for somebody on our roster who we thought that we could part with, I think Danny would pull the trigger quickly. But you got to remember the South is going into their treasure chest of draft picks coming up this year. And like everybody else in the league, they're all going to have a ton of money for free agents. So it becomes a question of just giving to a free agent that we should play in Boston as opposed to New York or Los Angeles or wherever. But uh, we, we have a chance, we being the Celtics, obviously, have a chance to sign a free agent and have maybe one of the top two or three picks in the draft. Uh, that would be as much of a change as I think you would need. That would be two guys. That would be fun. It's going to be, I think, pretty hard to make a trade this season in the A, largely because of such a shift with this money. I think teams are going to be very conservative with that. No one really seems to be a seller. And, of course, as you've told me, nobody really wants to trade with Danny Ainge anymore. They think that there's almost some, there's some you know, Trojan horse in every single trade if you offer. There's something they're missing, exactly. <laughs> if they, even, even when they offer, I wonder how, well, if that trade was really out there. So I'll just sort of generally say I wonder how certain other teams down south feel that they maybe weren't a little more aggressive when, uh, when it comes to getting those Nets picked. But Mike Gorman. Uh, Voice of the Boston Celtics, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow Mike on Twitter, at Celtics Voice. Mike, great to get you back on the show. Thanks. Let's do it again. Thank you, Mike. As I said, good luck at the game. Hopefully we, or you guys, do win. Well, they better win, but we'll talk about it in depth in our Celtics pregame segment with Justin Poole on the other side of the break. Back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man. Shall we 
win movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink. And there'll even be a VJ contest. Don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night, a movie costume party, pajama party, and neon beach party. You can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. Hi, this is Brent Berry, and you're listening to Celtic Street on CLNS Radio. Brought to you by American Farmers Network. To receive all the big benefits of small family farms and to eat healthy, log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Thank you for that, Bones. Welcome back into the show. Time to talk about that game tonight. Yes, we are very liberal with our emotions when it comes to individual wins and losses with the Celtics this year. It is all about the bigger picture. Except tonight and back on Friday night, but that's already in the books right now. But tonight, failure is not an option. Time to talk about that game with Justin Poulin, former host of the Pioneer Podcast on all things Boston Celtics, Celtics Stuff Live. And you can now hear Justin on the CLNS Radio, Celtics Post Game Show, which goes live after every single Celtics game on CLNSRadio.com. And like the show, available for download. On demand, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the likes. Today's Celtics Brooklyn Nets pregame segment is being presented by Harry's.com. Wake up to Harry's, a better way to shave with cost-effective razors and products designed to give you the highest quality shaving experience possible. Say goodbye to money going down the drain with utterly absurd arm and leg prices for drugstore razor blades. And say hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whatever, to the smoothest shave you will have for a minuscule fraction of the price. Start shaving and saving today. Simply sign up for an account with harrys.com and get a Truman set, which is Harry's Starters Kit for $10, which includes a razor, shaving cream, or gel, and one month's worth of blades for, again, all of 10 bucks. I repeat, a razor, shaving, gel, or cream, and one full month's worth of blades for 10 bucks. No tax, no shipping cost within the U.S. $10 by simply mentioning Celtics upon checkout. That is Celtics upon checkout. Justin, Celts picked up their first of four must-win games of the season back on Friday. What do they have to do to get halfway home tonight? <laughs> Just to do the same thing they did or the night before. I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, they had that huge second quarter, but they really felt, you know, to me, they really looked like they were in charge of this game the whole way through. And I know Brad Stevens likes to say, you know, it's each game at a time and each game's on its own. And, you, and, and that's the way you have to play. But let's face it, Brooklyn is totally outmatched by the Celtics, not only outmatched, you know, in terms of depth and, and, you know, you just have to love what we're getting from Avery Bradley. But not only are they outmatched that way, they're outmatched in the coaching department significantly. So to me, especially with what's at stake for the Celtics future and and having the best possible lottery position coming up in uh, the next NBA draft, I just got to say that I don't see the Celtics dropping any one of these. Do you? Well, I hope that they do share that same motivation that you just mentioned and I also share as well. I read a quote from Evan Turner uh, over the week where he was some, some said something along the lines of it's between crap on a, or crap on a steak. You never know with those draft choices. And it's like, yeah, I, uh, you're probably a prime example yourself, Mr. Number 2 overall <laughs> draft choice, Evan. But I, I was like, dude, I mean, no offense, don't sort of lay the seeds for making an excuse if you do drop one of these games. I do have to say, obviously, after watching Friday night, the Celtics clearly took the Nets to the woodshed and just really established themselves. But 
I did just speak with Mike Gorman. Passed along your regards. Yours, and here's a name for you, Kevin Gambles, actually. Cause Kevin Gamble, he's a, he's a big listener of the show, former Celtic. So he actually told me to tell Mike to say hi. So you said the same thing. I pass along your regards as well. Anyway, so just had Mike Gorman on the show. And I mentioned how I wouldn't be surprised to see the Celtics actually get tripped up tonight. Just solely based on the Nets getting utterly humiliated. They were the way they were back on Friday. You know, come out, show some pride. He just doesn't see it. You don't see it. Even if the Celtics, I mean, I don't know. Just you, There's no way they could lose this one tonight. I don't say no way, but. No upset. No way. No, no upset. No upset shot. No upset shot. No way, no how. You know, Evan Turner was, we saw the video of him taking extra shots. It paid off in Friday night's game. He was five for seven. He played 25 minutes. They were able to give a lot of minutes around. So they had, they had plenty of minutes to, to put into that top 10, but they spread them around. Everybody got a chance to play. They've got a day off. The travel isn't far. They're rested. Uh, I just don't see it. I just think the Celtics are, are way, way more put together. It's ironic, though, because the Nets don't have a reason to lose games the way that Philadelphia does. Philly's sort of like, ah, you know, this is our plan. And, you know, everybody, I'm not saying the players are comfortable with it, but at the same time, they're so young and they're working more on development and they're building their team. But the Brooklyn, they have no reason not to win games, and yet they can't win games. They're they're probably more humiliating um, of you know, or more humiliated than, than Philadelphia would be after a loss, right? I don't see it with Brooklyn. I don't think they have their act together. I think the Celtics are going to smoke them again. You look at David Lee, who is five for five from the field, 11 points. Uh, this is a guy who played in 16, 16 minutes in the game on Friday night. Everybody's rested. Everybody's healthy. They're all confident. I don't see the upset. And I actually think there's some players on the Celtics who had a lot more to give in that game, including Jared Sullinger and, once again, Marcus Smart, who had a nice string of games. But I still think that, that he can play better in tonight's game as well. So I would look for some of the guys that maybe aren't as hot to try to use this game to get hot and leap into uh, to the games coming up next week. That's not going to be the last time I have David Lee's name thrown at me. You just did it. Mike Gorman did it as well. He did have a pretty nice game off the bench. He is providing a lot of versatility. And it is very important that he does so along with you know other names that you mentioned because that way the Celtics can afford to have nights where Jared Sullinger really didn't do that much and just sort of up and down the roster where just as long as they get four or five guys, four or five guys, should be enough if they have those kind of contributions to beat, geez, I don't know, 75% of the teams in the league. And I obviously suffice to say the Nets do fall on that 75%. Yeah, and David Lee still leaves a lot to be desired, desired in the defensive department. I mean, let's not, you know, Gorman it's was great when he's providing offensively like and they need that. Ago. It was nuts. Sorry to interrupt you, but I was just... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I Well, I can't, I can't say that I agree. I, I think there's... Uh, is it better than advertised? Okay, let's set the expectation properly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody yeah. said David Lee couldn't play any defense. So the fact that he is, he's rotating well. You know, he's playing the defense the way he's supposed that's to play coaching. it. That's but coaching. is he, yeah, and that's coaching. And I, but is he still a defensive liability on the floor? Absolutely. I don't, I, you know, and, and maybe it is all context. And so, you know, I hate, I, I love Mike and, 
you know, as I, you know, as I told you, you know, he's a, he was a big supporter of Celtic stuff live in the early days, getting out of the gate. We'll have to agree to disagree on this, but maybe it's a perspective of, well, you thought you were going to get absolutely nothing from David Lee. At least he's doing what he's supposed to do on the floor. That's probably true. But, um, and I know, you know, I hated the David Lee, Tyler Zeller combination to start the season. And I, I hated it from night one. Uh, I just saw no rebounds. And uh, even though they were doing what they were supposed to do defensively, they weren't effective. At least now, I think David Lee's coming off the bench. I think that's the right role. He can spark some offense. And against those second tier, you know, uh, the opponent's second tier coming off the bench, the defensive liability isn't as exaggerated as it is when he's in the starting lineup. I think that also, too, just the fact that he is playing a shred of defense. And like you said, he is rotating. It goes back to sort of what I brought up with Mike. You have all these players, and all these players, but Crowder, Bradley, Smart, who have really made up the defensive identity of this team. You implement that type of defensive mindset, it's that defense kind of becomes contagious within the entire team. So if you just do get a little defense from David Lee and a lot of defense from the other players, it sort of just spreads up and down the roster, and you do get that kind of commitment, which is just enough to get what you need to, what you got to get out of the guy and the rest of the team for that matter. Yeah, and look who David Lee's on the floor with, too. I mean, I think if they had that defensive center, that total stud presence physically and with the height and athletic ability, he would look better. He would look better. Let's face it. I mean, they they all would. And And that is like the last piece. It's clear, too, that the Celtics do have that culture there. They have the blueprint there. They're just missing that one last piece of the puzzle to have this defense be a top five defense in the league to being just an unequivocally the best defense in the league because they have the perimeter players, <laughs> they have the talent, they have the coaching to implement the right game plan. They are just missing that one last piece. Obviously, those type of players don't grow on trees. You hear fans say, well, why can't Danny Ainge get that? Because you don't just go out to the store and just say, yeah, I'll take one of them defensive presents, please. But he, that is sort of like the last piece of just having this defense just being like through the and it's not in the draft i know it's not in the draft right so you know if they're going to acquire that it's either going to be in the next couple of years in the draft or it's going to be by trade um you know there's some nice players in the draft but i don't think we we have that defensive size and height presence that's going to be able to come in. There's a lot of stretch fives, which is what, how, how I would put it. Looks like there's some stretch fives in this draft, but I don't see that that defensive you know presence who really forces you out of the paint. Uh, that's going to be available with a top pick in, in this year's draft. All right, so this was a pregame segment. However, that just sort of got cold water thrown all over it because you basically came right on here and said, and you followed up what Mike Gorman said that pretty much the Nets don't have a shot in the blue hell of winning this game tonight, which it's sort of like, okay, now how do we analyze this game? If we want to just sort of finish this off, give me one way the Nets can win and then give me the odds based on a percentage of that actually happening. All right. Well, I'm going to say, I'm just going to put it right out there. The odds are maybe 10%, okay? And the best way for them to win is, is for the Celtics to come out flat uh, like they have in a few games, not only in the start, and then the Celtics to run out of gas in that third quarter. If the Nets have a huge third quarter 
And they're going to need Joe Johnson to light up the world for that to happen, right? He's going to have to come out and just score like a, a maniac. I mean, Thaddeus Young and, and Hollis Jefferson both had decent games uh, the other night, and Lopez did what he was supposed to do. He didn't tack up a bunch of rebounds, but he was efficient from the floor. I think Joe Johnson's going to have to essentially take over the game. And I just, that's a part of it. I just don't see it happening because the Celtics are so athletic. So I'll say, I'll say Celtics have to come out flat in the first and the third. And I'm going to say Joe Johnson's going to have to go off and I give it, I give it 10%. Um, the other thing I'll add is if the Celtics win this game, they'll be eight and five, which if they were to repeat that through the rest of the season, that's a 50 win team if they can stay at that pace uh, for the next 69 games. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Mike Gorman threw that 50-win number earlier in this interview well, saying, yeah, 45 to 50 wins. And I was just like, well, jeez, it's, it's kind of unbelievable to think about, too. And my feeling was, and I brought it up with Mike, was if they can just get to Christmas Day to at around 500, even if they were like two or three games over 500 on Christmas Day, they really should be able to do 45 wins, let alone north of it. I almost, I almost don't even want to get in there. But in regards to that Nets game. What was your preseason pick, Larry? I was like, what did you have them pegged for? I was initially around July, August, 38-42. And then I had a bunch of people on this show that just sort of won me over. So it was like, and Mike Gorman was sort of the last one who I spoke to, not on this show, but just, you know, in and around. It was like 42 to 45. I'm still in that. Now, now I'm like 43 to 46. But we'll <laughs> yeah. see. In a few weeks, it could be that, it could be that 45-50 number. I had them at 44. That's my that's my guess for the season. And you know, um, if they, they if they overachieve a little bit, especially they, if they, they should hang around because their schedule after the new year, even if they're you know sort of sputtering with setting this roster up and everything, they have a schedule right after the new year that they should rip off like nine to ten or something around the line. I don't have the schedule up right in front of me, but they do play a lot of, in the words of Dan Shaughnessy tomato cans but justin i actually want to keep you here because i want to have a little fun we had a really nice chat earlier this week not on the show but we figured or i figured hey let's bring it to the show you know i do around the nba in five this week but i'm actually going to give you the honor in a retort to one of a one of our critics i don't know on the show a documented critic who had the gall to give us a three-star review on itunes solely based <laughs> On the fact that we have more advertising on this show than you did on Celtic Stuff Live. Yeah, it's definitely not a bad thing. So we'll hit this right off. Around the NBA in five is brought to you by Audible, fans of the Harry Potter series. Harry Potter is now available to download through Audible. Written by J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter series chronicles the life of a young wizard and his friends who attend the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. All seven novels, from the Sorcerer's Stone to the Deathly Hallows, are now available at audible.com. And because of your listenership, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial of their service by logging on to audiblepodcast.com backslash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com backslash Celtics. It's Larry. Take it away. It's one thing if we were sponsored by like Walmart or McDonald's or Coca-Cola. This is, I mean, this is reading, right? I mean, just read Audible. You get a books. I'll throw in. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Howard. Uh, Howard. Ha- Harry Potter. I'm not a Harry Potter person. I suggest Being Nixon by Evan Thomas. I know there's been a slew of Richard Nixon biographies that have come out over the past five years. Now, there's been more and more of the Nixon tapes that have been leaked. But, hey, I'm actually not – no qualms admitting Richard Nixon is my favorite president of all time. So presidential biographies, 
fictional po- uh, books as well, audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. This is Around the NBA in 5, brought to you this week by Audible, and this is a special Around the NBA in 5, because we have Justin Poole in here, and we are going to talk about one topic that we had a good back and forth with this week. Figured we'd save it for you guys, Mr. Poole and the Houston Rockets fired coach Kevin McHale back on Tuesday. I will let you start this one off. Well, I'm just going to start it right off by saying that you can't let the inmates run the asylum. And I, it's interesting because it's hard to know if it's Dwight Howard, the coach killer, right, that's causing those problems. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. What I can tell you is in the very next game, uh, they, they definitely went out and they, they won a nice one against the Blazers, right? And so I don't know what your thought is. Who do you think is the problem? On the Rockets, because at the end of the day, Kevin McHale, he's had some success in this league, right? He knows what he's talking about. Um, I I hate it. I hate to see when the players really take over an organization. Uh, it scares me, and it may I, even though you may have, and I know this is going to be your point about big stars on the team that you have to cater to, but I wonder who do you think is the inmate that ran the asylum and drove McHale out the door? Well. Unfortunately, it is reality, though. I mean, because what, what is your other option? Do what Oklahoma City did and trade James Harden for a layer of bricks? Well, I, I agree, but you've got you've to gotta consider. Well, all right, so in that game against the Blazers, Harden went off for, what, 45 points? Is that right? So Somewhere. he, I, that, I think he might be the guy. You know, I know Dwight Howard's been kind of a coach killer, but I think Harden might be the guy. I know you brought him up as, well, what else are you going to do? Trade him away? Um, and that's a tough that's a tough thing for a Rockets team to do is hit the reset button. So they definitely did the easier thing. The easiest move was get rid of Kevin McHale, give Harden, potentially Harden, what he wants. And the way he performed in the next game makes me think that it is Harden that, that had the bigger issue with McHale. Although McHale loves to teach the big guys and maybe Dwight Howard and you know, had the initial problem, and then it kind of spread to Harden. Who knows? But I worry about the culture because if you start catering to to those guys, and remember the game against the Celtics, I saw lazy play. I don't know what you saw, Larry, but no, I saw they mailed that, that play game in, especially in especially in the, the second half of that game, that that third quarter. They mailed in. Listen, I know there's, there'd be no way, especially with a, a military background, to just sort of come out and just say, well, the, the right and the moral thing to do is to obviously sit down the, the multi-millionaire player making whatever amount of figures it is and just tell him, hey, this is your coach. He's had success in this league. He's done very well with lesser teams as well. We know he's a good coach. We're paying you millions and millions and millions of dollars to play. Please play at least somewhat up to your capabilities because he actually, there's no question, he hasn't been so far this season, well, at least not as well as he did last year. He's having a, it's still a very good season. Just It's not as what as he was last year, and it's usually very odd to see a player at 26 years old regress, and Harden has regressed for these first 13, 14 games this season. But at the end... So the, do you blame the coach for his motivation? I mean, that's really what I'm bothered by. Because when we watch that game... But you can't really look at it from a moral standpoint. As, as annoying and as just frivolous as that is, you just have to basically accept the fact that the message that Kevin McHale is sending wasn't producing results anymore. Well, I got to. I got to. Because as much as, I, as much as I'm not a LeBron fan, think about how many coaches he butted heads with and that team still won. And he still went out and played. And I just think... I think it says... 
I think it speaks to a major cultural issue. I mean, if Harden goes behind closed doors and says, hey, you know what, it's just not working out with me and Mikhail and, you know, what, whatever, but they're still playing hard and winning games and he goes about it the right way, then, you know what, maybe it is time for a coaching change. Maybe, maybe Harden doesn't feel like he's being used properly and he thinks that they can win more games and it's out of his competitive spirit or whatever. But the fact that all of the players had a players-only meeting the next day after that loss to the Celtics, and and they basically ran McHale out of town. I I don't think that any new coach is necessarily going to change that laziness or that ability for Tom the players Thibodeau. to roll over. What if they pull Tom Thibodeau in? But they're still going to have to play defense, right? And on offense, they're going to have to stop hooking by players. I mean, that's a, it. It was a skill thing that caused them to lose that game. It's a lack of effort. It's, it does talk. It's see, I think it's a motivation thing. I don't even think it's a coaching thing. I think it's a player motivation thing. And you know, they, they didn't like the losses stacking up and they made excuses and they blamed the coach. And so maybe a new coach comes in and holds them accountable. And like you said, maybe Tom Thibodeau's that guy. Um, You know, I actually think somebody like Doc Rivers would might might be a good fit in this situation because you know he could cater and he knows how to cater to some of the the needier players in the league. You know, and that's what I'm kind of I've always thought of that about Dwight Howard. It's something I'm starting to think about Harden. Well, unfortunately, that is the reality in the NBA. It's not the right and the moral thing to do. It's very annoying. I wish you. Could have kicked a guy like Jim James Harden, Jim Jim Harden, Jimmy Harden. We can call him. I like call that. Him James. What do we? What is this? Proper English? Jimmy Harden. We could have kicked Jimmy right in the butt. But it's it is reality. It is a stars league, and I don't want to say you have to cater to him, but you have to exhaust all options to make sure it works with your stars. But I'll say this too: I had Brent Barry on at the beginning of the year. I was not a fan of that Houston Rockets team. They're better than what they should be. But it's also, when you look at that roster, that's really just a two-man team, and the rest of the roster is pretty thin, especially as it looks like Ty Lawson. Wrap it up. He's done. But that's going to do it, Justin. It was nice having you here. But Scram, show's over. Don't have any time left. Got to dap all those who are a big part of these productions, such as yourself. <laughs> Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Deeds, Dr. Pez, and Steph Legrateau, as well as Ostravex. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat, and you can like Celtics beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat, as well as Google Plus Celtics beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest, the voice of the Boston Celtics, Mike Gorman. And you, Justin. Thanks, Justin Poulin. My pleasure. My pleasure. Always a blast, and I'd love to come on again. Oh, we sure we'll get you back here. And, of course, our sponsors, Tick IQ, Linda Audible, Harry's, and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Chelsea, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry H. Russell. We'll be back this Wednesday with Unfiltered on YouTube and, of course, next Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.